Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Straley. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in gut health. As a reminder, the information provided in this event is for information purposes only. If you do have medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or your healthcare professional. Now, let's get started. So joining me today on our event is going to be Kaylee Proctor. She's a board-certified oncology dietitian at Leonard Cancer Institute with Mission Hospital. And February is American Heart Month, so we're providing you with some valuable information that's going to help you improve your heart health and learn a little bit more about veganism. So Kaylee, welcome today. Thanks, Nikki. I'm excited to be back. Great. I'm glad to have you here today. So let's just go ahead and dive in and get started. Um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how long you've been with Providence and what is your current role? Yes, yeah, so I've been with Providence for a little over four years now. I've been down at LCI for the last year. And before that, I was at the Center for Cancer Prevention and Treatment at St. Joe's. And so my role is seeing cancer patients throughout the continuum of their care. So sometimes I meet with them before treatment mostly while they're on treatment, whether that's chemo, radiation, before or after surgery. And then after they've completed their treatment, I'll see them for more survivorship nutrition, learning how to get back into healthy eating habits after treatment. That's awesome. It sounds like you really enjoy what you do. I love my job. <laughs> Isn't that great? I feel like not everybody loves their job. So it's fun to be able to come home and say, I love the people that I work with. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> So when we talk a little bit about veganism, like eating plant-based, is, is that the same thing? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, that's a great question because I feel like people do use that interchangeably. Some people are like, oh, I'm vegan when really they're more plant-based. And so I think it's important to note that when someone says they're plant-based or when we're talking about a plant-based diet, the emphasis is on plant-based foods. So think fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, and legumes but then they do start to incorporate more animal protein. So typically it's chicken, turkey, seafood, or eggs, whereas veganism is no animal products at all. And that encompasses from what they eat to the products they use and to also what they purchase. So it's more of an animal rights. They think more about the animals versus a health perspective sometimes. I think that's really great to really differentiate because I think that plant-based really is such a buzzword. And so knowing that there's a difference between kind of the ethics between um, how they feel about animals, um, you know, versus what they choose to use in their lifestyle, I think that could be really different. And I think that's important to kind of, you know, draw some, draw some lines about how those are a little bit different. So, you know, if someone says like, maybe I should be on a plant-based diet, maybe I should not be on a plant-based diet. Can you explain what would be the reasons that sh someone should be or should not be on a plant-based diet? Yeah, so I always say no one got sick eating too many fruits and vegetables. You really cannot go wrong by adding in more produce to your diet, more whole grains. Um, I really advocate for a plant-based diet because it's so high in fiber and fiber is fantastic. We love it in the nutrition community, as you know. It acts like a balloon in your stomach. It keeps you fuller, longer between meals, so you're more satisfied. And that's really important because we're in the middle of an obesity epidemic. And so by having that sense of satiety, you're less likely to snack between meals. And typically when we're snacking, it's on higher calorie, highly processed foods, and that can lead to, over time, weight gain. And then with that being overweight and obese, you're at risk for chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension. So I always say <laughs> add in more fruits and vegetables. It won't do you too much harm. But speaking of fiber, 
our bodies don't have the enzymes to digest it. That is one of the reasons why it's so beneficial and it has that satiety factor. But if you're suffering from any digestive issues like IBS, IBD, colitis, Crohn's, that can be very irritating and that can exacerbate your symptoms. Also, those that have increased protein needs might find it difficult to follow a strict plant-based diet or a vegan diet just because you have to be very conscious about pairing your proteins and making sure that you're pairing them appropriately to get the amino acids your body needs for recovery and repair. Yeah. And I think I can just speak to like the part that you talked about with the digestive patients, because that's my area of specialty that seeing, you know, that there are specific fruits and vegetables that might be better tolerated by people with digestive, you know, disorders. Mm -hmm. So even if you have a digestive disorder, it's not an excuse not to eat fruits and vegetables. (laughs) You might just have to be a little bit more selective about the ones that Mm -hmm. you choose. But I still agree with you that uh, more plants is better. And so finding different ways to get them into our diets, I think, um, is really important. So now someone will, let's say they want to do a plant-based diet. Um, are there any risks in not consuming animal-based products while they're on this plant-based diet? So yeah, there are. So for example, athletes, you always have to worry about recovery if you're not timing the protein intake accordingly. And like I said earlier, cancer patients, really, we emphasize that high protein diet so they can preserve their lean body mass. But from a micronutrient level, um, iron deficiency anemia, just because there's two types of iron, there's heme-based sources of iron. So that would be typically your red meat, liver, um, and some poultry and eggs. And then there's your non-heme sources of iron. So that would be whole grains, anything that's fortified with iron, beans are really good, and then your green leafy vegetables. The only thing is your body prefers those heme-based sources of iron. It absorbs it better. It's what we call more bioavailable, whereas the um, plant-based ones, not so much. You need to eat more of them, and you have to be more cautious about what you're eating them with. So, for instance, vitamin C is going to help you absorb that iron, whereas if you have something containing calcium, you're not going to absorb as much iron. So that's one thing to keep in mind is... Um, a vegan diet or by excluding a lot of animal-based products, you might not be getting the iron that you need. Um, Also, B12 is found mostly in animal products. It's also found in nutritional yeast, which you can find at health food stores, but you have to consume so much of it to get the same amount of B12 you would if you were to have chicken or seafood or eggs. So those are two to really keep an eye on. Um, For vegans especially, that you always run the risk of B12 deficiency, and that can lead to fatigue, it can lead to paralysis, memory issues that are sometimes irreversible. So B12 and iron tend to be the ones to look out for. Yeah, I agree. And I think it just really points to how, you know, you can't just willy nilly go on a vegan diet, you have to really kind of uh, plan it out a little bit more than you might. So um, and you might talk about that later. But you know, it's, you know, it's something that it's not just a diet that's void of animal products. It's a little bit more purposeful about what they are actually chosen. Right. And it's just making sure that there are no animal products. I think that's one thing I always want to differentiate when someone comes to me and they're like, Oh, I'm vegan. I'm like, okay. So that's all animal products. And that also includes honey. And I think some people forget about that as well. So again, it's differentiating between the lifestyle versus just improving health outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, talking about veganism, like, you know, we're, we're talking about how, you know, is, is it a fad diet? Is it really a sustainable lifestyle? How do you feel about that? So I would never consider vegan a fad diet. I think fad diets, 
it is a little restrictive, but again, there's that lifestyle component to it where they're very passionate about animal rights. Um, but again, it is a very tough diet to follow. So it is important to sit down, plan it out, make sure it fits with your lifestyle, but I wouldn't call it a fat diet. No. Yeah. I have to agree with that. And, but I would say that people are really passionate about it. And so there there are are a lot of people that are passionate about other types of diets that may be Mm -hmm. fats. And so I think it's important, you know, to differentiate that, you know, it is a way of life and that people are um, very, um, you know, it's something that they do all throughout their life, life and not just like when they're eating on their plate, like you mentioned earlier. Definitely. And I think that's another component to work out is too with vegans, they don't feel like it's impacting their quality of life. In fact, it's enhancing their quality of life to them. Whereas fad diets, I'm sure as you hear all the time, it can feel restrictive. They can only do it for a certain amount of time, weeks, months, maybe a year, and then they're back to their old habits. So again, I would say it's more of a lifestyle. It doesn't interact or interfere with their day-to-day activities, their social settings. Whereas you know, fad diets can easily cause people not to want to go out to eat, not eat certain foods. So it's more of a lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. It's really helpful. So, you know, this is heart month. And so we're kind of thinking about heart health here. So, you know, if someone chooses to be on a plant-based diet, is there any such thing as reversing heart disease by being on a plant-based diet? I, there's definitely a correlation. I don't think we could say it. there's a causation between if you do a plant-based diet, you will reduce the risk of heart disease, but it definitely sets you up on the right path for it combined with physical activity. Because again, just by eating, you know, the rainbow, what we call it, a lot of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and the beans, you're getting a lot of the fiber, antioxidants, phytonutrients, um, specifically soluble fiber, which is really cool because it dissolves in water. So it kind of soaks up some of that extra cholesterol that might be in the arteries to reduce your risk of heart disease. So I don't want to say it's going to definitely reverse heart disease, but combination with physical activity, it's definitely going to reduce your bad cholesterol, overall cholesterol, and then your triglycerides as well. Yeah. So you and I as dietitians, we do talk a lot about the Mediterranean style or pattern of <laughs> diet, um, how it's really great for heart health. Is there is there a way to still do a Mediterranean style of eating and then also be vegan or plant-based? So again, it comes down to different, differentiating the terms vegan and plant-based. The Mediterranean diet as a foundation is a plant-based diet. They really emphasize fresh produce. Um, but what's really cool about the Mediterranean diet is the emphasis on cooking with olive oil because it's a heart-healthy fat. It's monounsaturated. It's fantastic. So a plant-based diet inherently would be a Mediterranean diet. The only thing to consider with the Mediterranean diet is that they do put an emphasis on um, seafood and heart healthy fats. So the omega fatty acids found typically in herring, tuna, and salmon. And of course, being vegan, you're not going to get those sources because they're animal based. You can get some omega threes through walnuts, chia seeds, and flax seeds, but it doesn't really go into the whole Mediterranean diet in terms of getting that fatty fish. So you can still do a plant based diet and be Mediterranean because essentially at the end of the day, that is what it is. But vegan diets, not so much just because of that nuance with the emphasis on the fatty fish and then the lean protein like chicken and turkey. Okay. So, you know, along with heart disease, we also see this cluster of other types of uh, 
disease states. So, you know, for example, so like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, can we also see that this plant-based diet or a vegan diet, can they actually help to manage or improve any of these health conditions? Yeah. So specifically for type two diabetes, um, what's really cool again about a plant-based diet is the fiber content. I'm never going to stop talking about fiber, but what that means in terms of blood sugar management is that when you eat whole grains, like if you have oatmeal in the morning or you're snacking on apples um, with a little bit of peanut butter maybe, there's fiber in there and that's also gonna break down into carbohydrates. And so because of the fiber with the carbohydrates, it's gonna bring your blood sugars up as carbohydrate rich foods should, but it's a much slower rise and then a steady fall. Whereas if you were to eat white bread on an empty stomach, your blood sugars are gonna look like one of those heart machines. They're gonna go up and down, up and down, and over time, that can cause a lot of stress on the body, blood sugar mismanagement, diabetes. So again, those slow release of the complex carbohydrates is so important for blood sugar management. So yes, a plant-based diet is great there. And then in terms of hypertension or high blood pressure, um, the plant-based diet is emphasizing potassium-rich foods. So most fruits and vegetables are really high in potassium, and that helps counterbalance some of the sodium that you might be getting in your diet if you're eating a lot of processed foods. But Overall, that's going to help you manage your blood pressure because you're not getting a lot of salt. A lot of, you know, plant-based foods aren't high in salt. And then you're getting a lot of potassium anyways. Yeah, I think that sounds great. So we have a couple of questions that have come in and they're actually very similar. So we're just going <laughs> to um, answer these questions really quick before we move on to kind of the, the next half of our conversation today. So um, they're both, both very similar. So thank you for um, the people who submitted questions today. We really appreciate that. So um, these are questions in regards to um, vitamin supplements for people yeah. on vegan diets. So um, how, you know, how many extra vitamins do they need? What kind of vitamins, you know, how much do they need? I know you've talked a little bit about iron, a little bit about vitamin B12, but do you have any guidance as far as like, do they need to be on a vitamin supplement? How much do they need to take this every day? A little bit more information on that. So I always say across the board, you want to check with your physicians if you're going to start any supplements. Um, if you're vegan and you're diabetic, you always check with your endocrinologist, your cardiologist, just to make sure there's no interactions with other medications that you might be taking. That's great um, advice. As a whole, I'm more of a foods first person just because supplements are a little bit tricky. We as humans, we eat food. And so by doing that, there's different interactions with certain vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and phytonutrients. And it's really hard for research to pull that out and then say like, oh yes, you need to be eating you know, B12 in this amount, because that's not how we're eating it naturally. So always keep that in mind too. Even if you're supplementing, there could be other things going on. Um, I would say again, I can't stress it enough. B12 is really important if you're going to be on a vegan diet and no animal-based foods. Even if you're eating nutritional yeast, you might not be getting enough. And I always just worry because sometimes if the damage goes on for too long, it's irreversible and it can be permanent. So B12 is always one to check in on. Iron is one that I suggest, but again, talk to your um, physicians about it. And you have to think too, if you're taking a lot of iron, that could be constipating on top of eating a high fiber diet. It might be very uncomfortable and it might turn you off to a high fiber diet. So I'll, again, just keep that in mind as well. Um, calcium and vitamin D is also something to consider just because you're not eating a lot of calcium rich foods, even if you're eating a mostly plant-based diet, it can still be hard to get as much calcium as you need. 
And even though certain um, vegetables like broccoli, for instance, is really high in calcium, the amount that you have to eat to get to the amount that you would if you had some yogurt, it's a lot. So calcium and vitamin D just to preserve your bone density. But again, always check with your physician um, and always make sure too, when you're looking at supplements, you're looking for third party testing because um, the FDA does very little regulation on supplements on the market. So there could be fillers in there that you don't know about. You might not be getting what's actually advertised. So always look for that third party testing. And if you're vegan specifically, make sure there's no animal fillers in there um, just because that can be an area where you are getting animal products and you don't even realize it. So it's important to read the labels, third-party testing, but as a whole, I do recommend food first. I was just going to put a little plug in for just registered dietitians like us in general, in that this is the perfect example of how one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling can be beneficial because they can look at your particular medical history. They can look at your labs. They can you know, talk with your doctor and they can make some really specific recommendations on whether supplements would be appropriate for you because you know everyone is so different and it's really helpful as a dietitian to have someone's complete medical history so that we are making you know, these recommendations based on real information and not just general guidelines. And I think that's one of the benefits. And I don't know about you, but I have a couple of, like when you talked about that third-party testing, a couple of the mm -hmm. companies that I like to use, one is called Consumer Lab and they do yes. independent third-party testing mm -hmm. and another one called LabDoor. So those are yeah. accessible to consumers to be able to look at their supplements and find out, make sure they're not, um, you know, sometimes they'll find they have heavy metals in them or they don't have as much vitamin as it says on the bottle. And so it's it's good to actually choose a high quality uh, vitamin, not necessarily the one that you can get at your at your cheaply at your corner drugstore. That's the other thing, too, is just because it's a brand name doesn't always mean it's third party tested. So, right. again, working with the dietitian, of course, I'm going to plug that. Um, but also being honest with your healthcare team about what supplements you're taking. So I know some of my patients, they'll come in and they show me pictures of all the supplements they're taking. And then we have a natural medicines database that you can always check to see if there are interactions with certain vitamins and other medications that you're on. So always, you know, if you want take pictures, bring them in. I think that's the greatest way to really see if you need to be on the supplement. Yeah, I think that's great because it's really so personal and individual mm -hmm. and it really just gives your doctor a chance to, you know, inform the patient and the doc the dietitian can work with you too just to make yeah. this personalized plan that is very specific to your case. I think that's really important. So, you know, if if someone says like I want to go vegan but it seems like too much Maybe we can talk about just some simple changes that people can make to their diets and, you know, that can increase, improve their heart health, but maybe they're not ready to go vegan, but plant-based sounds good. What are some different ways just to kind of get started? I always think when people are like, oh, I need to eat more fruits and vegetables, they think they need to overhaul their diet. And I see this all the time of everyone's like, all right, that's it. I'm eating salads for lunch and dinner breakfast is going to be sauteed vegetables and it's not what they're used to doing and so they do it for a week or two they're bored of it they're done and then they give up and they go back to their old habits so to prevent that i always say start small just add in one extra serving of fruit or vegetables a week so maybe on sunday when you're doing your grocery shopping for the week get one new produce item that you've never cooked with before or maybe you're kind of indifferent to and then throughout the week try it in different meals try it with different seasonings herbs spices different cooking techniques oftentimes um, i hear that vegetables taste bitter they don't like that bitter taste to them 
but if you roast them or you saute them, the sweetness comes out, so they're more palatable. You're gonna enjoy them more. And then if you add some seasonings that you like, I think that's a really great way to start getting more comfortable with vegetables and fruit, anything that you're not really comfortable with. The same goes for oatmeal or whole grains, brown rice, anything that you're kind of like, well, it's good for me. I'm not completely turned off to it. Just try different cooking techniques and different spices with that. Other things to consider would be, you know, if you're in a time crunch, if you're busy, you don't have time to spend hours in the kitchen. Um, frozen produce is just as nutritious, if not more so than fresh, and it's easier to prepare. Those steam fresh bags, you put them in the microwave for five minutes and you have like a huge bowl of broccoli, cauliflower, whatever it may be. So that's something else to consider. Um, I know we talked about this, but if you want starting a small garden so you see the fruit of your labor every day with either herbs, tomatoes, whatever it may be, and it's going to taste better because you're growing it. It doesn't have to travel. And also, um, I know here in Southern California, we're really lucky to have farmers markets all year round. And that's a great way to support the local economy. You get to know the farmers, see their growing practices, um, and the produce is going to taste better because the conditions are optimal. So those are just some ways to slowly add in some produce into your diet. You don't have to overhaul your diet overnight. That often leads to people reverting back to old habits. Yeah. And I like the way you're talking about doing things that are more, you know, sustainable. So, you know, when we think about, you know, I use, you know, cause I'm a runner. So I use the analogy of running a marathon a lot, but you know, life really is a marathon, not a sprint. So <laughs> if you think like, I want to hurry up and be plant-based and you want to throw all these veggies in your diet, you don't really do much planning in terms of that, mm -hmm. then you know, it may not be a successful venture because you might hate it or yeah. it might be, you know, you know, you might be like, oh, I got really constipated or like well, it was really expensive or whatever. <laughs> if you're not used to eating a lot of fiber and all of a sudden you're adding all this fiber into your diet, mm -hmm. it can be very uncomfortable. And again, that might turn you off to it. So again, start small and also chew your foods very, very well. Digestion starts in the mouth with our salivary glands, they secrete an enzyme that starts the digestion. So by the time it hits the stomach and the small intestine, it's kind of what we call pre-digested. I wish I had a better analogy, but I don't. So just chew your foods well, start small, um, so you can just stick to the habits long-term. Yeah. And some people just start with something like meatless Monday, you know, that might be just one way to do that. I mean, that's, you know, it's a little bit cheesy, but you know, like, I don't know, you could call it, you know, tofu Tuesday, if you want to, but you know, do something where maybe it's predictable and the family just knows this is the day that we do like a, a really plant-based plant focused mm -hmm. meal. And maybe you try a new vegetable. So like our family gets, um, we get, um, produce delivered imperfect foods. We get delivered like every other week at our house. And so I'll have my kids help me choose what is like a new vegetable we can order this week. And yeah. so one time we ordered Swiss chard and I was like, <laughs> what do I do? I don't even know what to do with Swiss chard because my mom, my mom never prepared it growing up. So I'm like Googling, you know, Swiss chard recipe. And now it's literally one of our favorites. It's just ended up being like a staple and you can Google it too. I mean, it's a delicious recipe, but it, it all came from this big bundle of Swiss chard that I did not know what I was going to do with. So I think that, you know, sometimes it's stepping out of your comfort zone at the grocery store, you know, maybe you have your kids with you, or maybe, you know, your spouse or your, you know, significant other says like, yeah, let's grab those beets or that rutabaga and let's do something <laughs> new with that. Because there are people out there, thank goodness for Google, who really put these amazing recipes yeah. out there because, I, you know, I used to call myself the non-cooking dietitian because I didn't know how, I'm not a chef, like by training, uh -huh. I'm really a dietitian. Yeah. I know about the nutrients, but not necessarily the preparation. Cooking. 
but right. But, but I've come a long way because <laughs> learning how to prepare these foods has been really important. And it's that time in the kitchen and it's learning how to season things well. And, you know, not necessarily shaking a bunch of salt, but using like fresh yeah, herbs. Fresh and, herbs go a long way. Yeah, yeah, I can go a long way. And, you know, these are things too that are helpful because these herbs, they don't have sodium in them. So this mm -hmm. is good for people worrying about their blood pressure and heart disease. And, you know, we could all use a little bit less sodium in our lives. So, you know, there are so many um, benefits to just focusing on adding a few more of these vegetables, mm -hmm. more of these colors that are so beautiful, you know, to your plate that the long lasting health benefits are so worth it that it's just these small changes that you can make now that are permanent. And, you know, and also, you know, as being a parent, I also know that my kids are watching me. So if I choose, you know, all the same five vegetables all the time, they're not going to have pellets that um, are developed. And so, you know, as we're sharing these things with their families, you know, they as they grow up, they're going to be more comfortable preparing something new that maybe they mm -hmm. haven't seen before. And, and I feel like that's also um, something that can be like sharing the wealth throughout the family, you know, as we go on through time. Well, and I always say the reason I got into dietetics and nutrition is I grew up with an Italian mother and she was always cooking and I just felt like it was a great way to bring us all together. I loved seeing her in the kitchen cooking up new recipes and the smells like it's just regardless, it's a great way to bring the family together, bring friends together. It's a bonding experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, cooking and eating should be fun. Like food is good. So like make good food taste good. I just it's such a simple pleasure and it's a way to bring people together. So that's a great, great idea. I love it. So, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things today in terms of, you know, plant-based and veganism and um, a lot of these different points. Are there any things that, anything else that we haven't talked about today that, you know, you think is maybe a hot topic or people will be interested in that we want to be sure to, to talk about today before we close? So one thing I do want to mention is just because something is labeled vegan um, or something is labeled plant-based doesn't mean it's a health food, doesn't mean it has this health halo over it. You can still have a vegan cake or a vegan cookie. At the end of the day, it's still a cookie and it's still a slice of cake. So always keep that in mind too, just because it's vegan, it's not going to be always the healthiest. And I hate to say it, but sometimes those vegan baked goods have more calories than the ones with like eggs and butter in it because they have to put so much oil in there coconut so oil always, especially <laughs> yeah and coconut oil is so fickle because even as a dietitian i struggle to keep up with where we're at with coconut oil um it's a plant-based oil so in that aspect you're like okay awesome like it's supposed to be good for me but on the other hand it's one of the few plant-based foods that is so high in saturated fat and we know saturated fat increases the risk of clogging arteries high cholesterol high triglycerides so I always say use coconut oil sparingly, but yeah, it's like, it's put into this, but everyone's like, oh, it's vegan. It's good for me. So it's not always the case. Yeah. I or think that's, I cannot stress enough. Yeah. That's really a great point. And, you know, something that, you know, I, I just want to, you know, touch base on too, because I think we haven't really covered this is that, you know, with, with kind of this health food craze, people can go a little bit overboard sometimes yeah. and, you know, can, can really draw some really strict lines about what they can and can't have. And so, you know, go easy on yourself. You know, that's mm -hmm. another thing too, that, you know, we want to be excited about being plant forward, plant focused, plant-based and, and not starting to label things in a way that um, makes you afraid or, or angry about, you know, eating certain yeah. foods. So I feel like that's, that's important. 
when you know the diet is not right for you, if it's starting to impact your quality of life, if you're starting to stress about ingredients, going out with your friends, having family members over, if it's really starting to wear on you and it's causing more stress, that can do more harm than good. That's going to bring up your cortisol and that we know increases the risk of heart disease. So you're not doing yourself any good if it's really stressing you out to the point where you're not living the life that you want to live or you're kind of almost isolating yourself just so you can follow this one diet because you read that it was the healthiest diet. Like if it's getting in the way of your quality of life, it might be time to reevaluate what you're doing and then go from there. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Kaylee Proctor, for joining us today, for everyone for listening, for sending in your questions. Um, to learn more about our initiatives, our programs, services, and ways to give, or if you're looking for help or medical advice, please visit Providence.org. And make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter, at Providence Health System, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. You all have a great day wherever you are. And thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.